first episode of the Music Taz podcast, we hear from Tasmanian band The Brothers of Country, a band of brothers from across Tasmania, Australia and the world. The Brothers of Country draw from Aboriginal practices and connection to country as the conduit to bring diverse cultural groups into a shared, safe and creative space. Music is central to Indigenous storytelling and law. Music has carried knowledge and truth-telling of pain and sorrow, celebration and tradition from generation to generation. The brothers say, this is how it should be. These truths have been broken for Aboriginal men and women in Tasmania and across an Australia recovering from colonisation. But these people, these artists, are not alone. Refugee and migrant people face similar dispossession from place and loss of culture. The result is often a story of great sorrow, trauma and ultimately a deep feeling of being unwell, of illness. The brothers of country use their music for truth-telling and to find space for stories and healing. These earthy sounds of the Tasmanian bush are brought to us by elder songman Dougie Mansell, singer and drummer Wase Makalani, a Yao and Chichiwa man from Malawi, Yora Yora and Yualare man Warren Mason, Tasmanian-born Yora Yora man, First Nations producer and musician Josh Langford, Tasmanian Aboriginal Pakana traditional dancer Harley Mansell, walker and keeper of the stories Seen Mansell and Adelaide-born cultural magpie Matthew Farger. We will now hear a conversation facilitated by Matthew Farger between these brothers, these dignified men of story. This was recorded on the 26th of June 2021 when the brothers gathered at the Moona Arts Centre. The brothers would like to thank the Glenorchy City Council and Moona Arts Centre for supporting this project throughout. Thank you. 
Yeah, no, um, my name's Harley Jack Mansell, um, 33 years of age, um, from, from Hobart, Tasmania down here, I've lived here all my life and uh, I'm a Tasmanian, Tasmanian Aboriginal contemporary dancer but in part of us the country is, is pretty cool, it's, it's, I love I've being part of music because um, brings something to part of me that there's a lot of things so that's me. Can I ask you two questions mm -hmm. before you back out? Mm -hmm. Of all of Tasmania, brother, mm -hmm. of all the places that you were as a performer and everything that you've done, because you've done a lot of different things that just aren't dancing, brother, mm -hmm. places and memories and all that, can you share a place that is special with you? Oh, probably Edison Point. Yeah. Up there, because a lot of family, we go up there, I'll, I haven't been up there recently, but... My, my um, years of growing up being an Aboriginal person, going up in that country, that's that's somewhere you could live and I spend a long time up there and that's my favourite part of the country, the East Coast and Edison Point. There's Harley Jack Mansell, the deadly musician that's in the Brothers of Country, that's the rhythm section with your... Clap sticks, yeah, with yeah. Your, with your father. Yeah, I'm proud of that. That's, that's something pretty cool. I like that having dad around. Dad, dad's not here. We'll get him in the next one, but yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Do you want to tell me something really quick? And anyone who's listening about mm. what you provide in the Brothers of Country with your music, specifically you're the clapstick. You're one half of the clapstick section, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Different, different, wow. different for me because, like I said before, I'm Tasmanian Aboriginal dancer, cultural man. But being in a band, it's it's given something different, um, different rhythm, um, different feeling. Because I thought that was missing too for a band to never have a clapstick. Oh, we've had a lot of cultural bands or rumpy band, and but to have a band that have clapsticks in it was pretty unique, I reckon. And yeah. that's that's what I like. Cause it's it's fun. You get a lot of stuff out of it. You don't get to sit there and move. Cause I got more movement than all you bought, fellas. You know, you on the guitar. I, I could sit there. And, you know, I could get up and move and. It's good, it's good movement, so, yeah. So, um, I'm Matthew Farga, and um, while we were getting the um, Brothers of Country description stuff together, I thought, oh, what do I call myself? Like, I'm not, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. So um, I thought, oh, I'm a cultural magpie. Magpie, South Australian birds I love, but also like that idea on that person who loves collecting culture around. And now you're here in Tassie, you've travelled down here, and uh, you've got such a deep experience now with people that are here, Matt, with when it comes to music and inspiring them and all that, and... You've been with the youth all the way through multi-generational crossing barriers to all that. Connections to place there is a different aspect to you than what is Harley. You've got, you know, as a visitor, you've got moments that are about looks in eyes and inspiration of seeing somebody you've inspired and, you know, mentor, break a barrier and do all them other things like that. Have you got anything you'd like to share that's your connection to them places and to, as a, the magpie that's visited here? Um, I mean, in terms of place, for me, 
there's definitely um, something really deeply connected about the mountain. I've done a lot of sort of different kinds of things, written music up there and done performance things up there, just as well as just being on place. And for me, it's not about, you know, like the view. It's about that incredible diversity of place. You know, you sort of walk up and go, turn around the corner and then you're in this completely different landscape and then you come around the corner again and then you're in this other landscape, um, all in this one place. And it's, it's pretty magical being in a place where that's so close to home. I just love all that. But I also, you know, I'm, I'm with Harley. I love the East Coast. I love the, I love the water and the, um, I'm getting to know Norfolk Bay really well now, all that water there. That space for me is, is really special. And there's something about Tassie you can be still here. Going up to Broome or Darwin or even you know in Sydney and places like that, it's never still. It's just too, it's so much noise and energy in the in the bush. Um, let alone in the city. Here you can be really still, and I love that. And that stillness for me is what one of the sources of inspiration for Brothers of Country. Like, yeah. you be really quiet, and you listen to that thing, and that song comes out. One thing just asking you that that you can remember is something that you've recorded here that is magic to you the absolute most magic sound i've ever recorded was walking up to thark ridge which is one of those ridges right on the top in the alpine country on mount wellington mm. and um, i just wanted to go up there and record wind and so i was with a bunch of other musicians for uh, a thing and we all walked up there and i took like this old really old zither with lots of strings on it not not particularly in tune or anything and I just stuck these microphones on it and just sat it there and just let the wind blow through it and recorded that and it's just like I could listen to that for hours it's just so magical and I mean I've used it heaps like in all sorts of different soundscapes and projects and stuff you want a little bit of that's the go that's Matt's go that's my go to wind magic that's Matt all over My name's <coughs> Dougie Benson from Cape Barren Island. Uh, proud to have been an Aboriginal. Um, Love my music. Started on uh, Flinders Island. Um, started joining up with the old coast. There was a band with Ronnie Summers and them, and, and then uh, they fell apart. And then we just started singing at the festivals, and now on with the brothers of country, enjoying it. Might look like I'm enjoying it, but I am. <laughs> and I have to say, you go way back before, even before the old coast, like the, those really old days that you've talked talk to me about playing in pubs with Clive I Beaton. I do. I, I, um, I was playing in the hotels with my cousin Clive Beaton, who actually wrote the song Old Cape Baron. And I used to play around the hotels with him and start from Fitzroy and we'd the town and... Yeah, it was only about um, 18, I think. It's only a few years back, so, yeah. How many times do you reckon you played Old Cape Baron now? Oh, I just lost count. It was all right. Everywhere I go, someone wants me to sing that song, but um, 
you know, I guess it's a, it's a, it's, it's one of the traditional songs for me, and I'll keep singing it as long as people want, want to hear it. between singing that song that's got so much history for the community and, say, singing a, um, a song that you really love but it's, you know, a, The Cowboy Rides Away, for instance, or one of those songs that we love playing, what's the difference between playing that kind of song and that one that's got so much significance for the community? I don't know. I just think when I sing the song, OK, Brown, I think it's a song that, no matter where I am, if, if, if there's... I mean, we all, most of us Aboriginal people are from Cape Barron anyway, and I think when I sing that song, people just come up and want to talk to me, and, and it's... Um, but, you know, I, I, there are times when people like to sing that song, I say, look, no, I've, I've just sang it too many times, and I, I, sometimes I do knock it back, but I guess it's just... I mean, I, mean, I sing other songs that, you know, that... Um, probably mean the same to me as Cape. I mean, I sing that song, uh, which I wrote about um, Travel Down This Road With Me. I mean, that that song there that I sing with you, uh, Travel Down This Road With Me, that means more to me than what old Cape Barron does. But, you know, Cape Barron sort of brings all the all the Aboriginals together, but the song, that uh, Travel Down This Road With Me, that's for me and my grandson Cody, and that 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 really means a really really lot to me. That's, I get very emotional sometimes when I sing that song, even when I'm talking about it. I can ask you something, Uncle. When it, your story and some of the dynamics of the brothers of country around us, we've been able to share, you know, ourselves, um, which is a barrier that is in men's healing. Um, and stuff like that, and you've been able to share uh, a tragedy that's in your in your um, recent history of losing your grandson, and just coming out of a period of recording an album with him and having all them hopes and dreams, you know, like my sympathy goes to that fact, but to still send his message out there and to sing them songs 
not to be like too deep on the question, but as a form of healing to be able to do gigs and to be able to tell people, you know, the story of who Cody and your time that you had and stuff like that, have you found that that has been an anchor in your ability to deal with it? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he's with me every day, every day, every day. Not a day goes by that I don't think about him. Um, he was a great little musician, great singer, great. And, uh, you know, I owe a lot to Matthew for that because, I mean, you know, Matthew used to sit in there and then I remember him coming home one day and he said, Ah, oh, Pop. I said, why? He said, bloody Matthew. I said, why? what's wrong with him? Oh, he gets me the sing one song over and over and over. I said, that's right, mate. I said, if you want to be a singer, you've got to get it right. Oh, well, I hope we'll get it right soon, he said. But he was a great little singer, you know. And I got a phone call, a couple of phone calls one night, and they said, Dougie. I said, what's that? They said, Cody's better than you singing now. I said, that's great. I said, that's great. I said, at least it's my grandson who's taken over from me, nobody else. Well, that, that was happy. But, you know, I, I talk about Cody no matter where I go and, and, and even when I do my work with the country and whatever. And uh, I mean, even when I'm talking now, he's beside me. He's beside me everywhere I go, no matter where I am, you know. And, um, you know, and he's, uh, I'll never forget him. And, you know, he's, he's with me all the time. And I think why, why I'm continuing on with my music, because I stopped for a while when, when uh, Cody passed away, but I think continuing on with my music, that's what he'd want. And um, so I'm just pretty well, not only doing it for myself, but for my grandson too. Sharing memories through the years. So we travel down this road with me. Help me be the one I want to be. Help me see the things I long to see. We travel down yeah, this road. Do you reckon? Um... In the near future, you'd like to record some more music, like newer music, from yeah. where you go from here? Yeah, well, you know, I wrote a song about Cody, and um, I sang it here when we done the, the last... It was here, Brothers of Cody was here last. And, um, mm. uh, when, when the first session finished and I walked outside, a couple of women walked past and I said, it was a beautiful song, you know, you made me cry. Well, I don't mean to make people cry, but I guess when people cry... About the songs I write, I mean, they must have a meaning to it. They must understand the meaning of what I'm actually singing about. Yeah. You've got to be deadly to get them to cry, huh? <laughs> oh, well. And it's a very healing thing, you know, to be able to actually able to feel that thing because you know, somebody's not going to cry if they haven't felt something similar. They might have had somebody else die or they might be feeling that pain. Mm. And for you to be able to release that in them, that's a very healing thing. You know, um, and that like Cody's funeral for me is one of the most emotional moments in my life. The, certainly, he, certainly here in Tasmania, that was a very, very emotional time for all of us. Um, it was very, very powerful, and I think what was extraordinary was that we felt like we could keep talking about it and and then go go on to write a song about it and and have that thing because it, it's also, it's very easy with stuff like that to kind of not talk about it and push it away and and um, and sort of cover it up but I think the fact that you as a man can talk about that pain that you have um, is actually very liberating for us and for people who listen 
You know, I mean, when, when Katie passed away at Eddie's funeral, Eddie's service, you know, when I sing at the service, and then I sing, I walked in front of the, from the uh, casket as, as we carried him out, and I was singing a song. And I got outside, and people, a couple of people actually said, you know, you're a strong bloody old bugger, you know. They would never ever do it. And I said, it was hard. You know. To um, keep it people together. think it was easy for me, but it wasn't an easy one. It wasn't. Good. No, I was there. I know what you're talking about there, Uncle. I was broken that I was so in amazement of how strong you was to be able to do that. Um, yeah, you just ripped my memory then because I remember I was standing outside the door and I was... It's the way you just described that I was that person looking at you saying exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I find music... Music is something that's always been in me, I think, and, you know, there, were, there was a stage I was, I was going to give it up, and, but um, like I said, when I sang at the first festival in 1995, um, Jody Ains got me into that, and then I haven't missed a festival since, or a mutton, or a Aboriginal native ball. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's what I think that's why I continued on, I mean, 1965, I think I, I got the uh, the award for um, Aboriginal Artist of the Year, and that was something that uh, I was very proud of. And then um, when Cody started singing with me, I, I forget what year it was. He got um, <coughs> uh, was it the Young Aboriginal Artist of the Year, and I still got his little trophy sitting up. And that was I'm, something that was that. really, really, I'm really proud of. You mm. know. Mm. No, for him to go so early at um, yeah. But you know, I got I got many, many things that I that I remember about him, so yeah. Some of the songs I sing, me and him used to sing together at home, you know, and you know, it's something that you can never forget, you know. Thank you, Michael. So, well, my name's Warren Mason. I'm a Yurralarai man with cultural connections to the Yorta Yorta. Um, I'm from a small country town in northwestern New South Wales called Guruga. I'm pretty new to this music game, really. Um, this is the first band I've ever been in. I've always just been a solo artist, a self-taught musician. Um, As we were talking to Uncle, I use my music as a healing practice for me. Same as Uncle and same as all the Indigenous communities and peoples in them. Tragedy's always close by because um, families are close. Um, families are big but close. Um, so everyone, when someone passes in a small community like the one I grew up in, Everyone knows the person, everyone knows the family, everyone knows the history of the person. Um, and coming from that small country town, I grew up with lots of musicians around that I was always in awe of, but never ever give myself the opportunity to pick up the guitar. I was always doing something else. Um, so picking up the guitar is late for me. Probably didn't start performing live until I was 45, maybe. Um, I'm fully addicted to music. Music is what I do. Um, and I do it for 
it's a healing practice. I tell a story of who I am and where I come from as a 52-year-old 52, 52 Indigenous man in this country. Um, I've seen injustices beyond disbelief in my lifetime. Um, and I like to share that and let people, make people realise that we are who we are because of all the things that have gone on before us from our grandparents and their grandparents and so that's this is where I'm at. I'm listening to music and I'm sharing the story. Can you tell us about Tin Camp? Yeah, you got to tell us about uh, Tin Tin Camp Studios is my um, creation. It's a I try to create a safe space for people to share story, um, whether it be through music, dance, poetry, spoken word, whatever. Um, but it's a place safe enough for people to feel that they can share. Um, and the Tin Camp Studio is sort of... It was a dream. It was a, a dream probably about three years ago now. I dreamt this thing that... I could create my own spaces to share my own story and then it would become that other people can come along and share their story within the tin camp too. And so I'm up to probably got about five tin camps built at this point in time and they're all parts of the country. Um, we've got a couple in Tasmania. By the end of this year I'll have a mobile tin camp built that will pop out of the back of a shipping container so then it can go to festivals all around Tassie, all around Australia and all around the world really. And it was just a dream, like I just dreamt this thing one night and I said I could probably do that and so I've had great opportunities through great funding from arts councils all throughout Australia and Tasmania um, and I feel very blessed to be able to share this Tin Camp Studios with everyone really. And I have to say, like when that's when we first met you down on Bruni, that that first one that you built with Phil. And when Dougie and I played that night, we played in that shed. Mm. Did you feel it? It was just like yes. you're just in this space that felt mm. so comfortable. It was the, one of the most beautiful gigs I felt like I'd ever done with you because you were so relaxed. Yes, I was really relaxed, and we didn't have to kind of show off no. to. Put it out there. You could just go, "Hey, here's it's a like, song. Where is this here's band? another. We need this." That's the way I kind of felt. Yeah, it's like it was universal to me, Warren. I can give respect to the creative element that's grounded in a real story that has real connection. When we talk about, you know, what an actual home and a tin camp used to be, and them things, and for you to creatively design it into something that can actually be open shared. Yeah. And it's about sharing music and all the rest, and the, and it can travel. It's mobile. It can be an actual, um, you know, uh, an inspiration to what is really one of our major Aboriginal birth skills. It's storytelling. Yeah. I've been sitting in this old chair, waiting for my boys to come home. For my boys to come home. They say one won't be coming. He's gonna meet me on the 
Josh Langford, born in Tasmania. I had a mixed identity household um, growing up. My dad is your standard white Australian. Um, there's pretty much the postcard type of gentleman, gentleman golf, player. golf player that he is. <laughs> and my mother was a staunch Aboriginal woman, yorta yorta. Um, environmentalist, activist, artist, community, um, inspirer, mentor, whatnot. And um, yeah, I grew up in that spectrum. Um, I do acknowledge both of the, my, them spectrums of my identity. I've been taught from wisdom from both of them sides of the fence. Um, I'm a proud Yorta Yorta man born in Tasmania. I acknowledge that all my elders and the identity that I have, and to even acknowledge that some of the, the bad boy backbone in me, it comes from being raised by the Tassie Bob. It is my identity. Um, and I'm proud of it. So it's hard to kind of describe my identity. I acknowledge both. My mother's lineage and the first words that were spoken to me as I welcome you, my Yorta Yorta baby. But I also acknowledge people like Uncle Dougie that's been there my whole life. I remember growing up in the Pulawa Children's Centre, I used to get picked up by Ernie Dingo, who was my driver. I used to run amuck in the, in the Children's Centre van because Mum was the she was the state secretary and all the rest, and I used to go into the offices going like, that's, I used to own all them offices. My identity is defined by that, and I had a major moment when I was a child. I had a major accident. That accident has been probably the thing that has given me more wisdom than anything that I've ever learned from anyone or any school that I've gone to or anything. And from that accident, I had... Um, a quite a period of time where I was shaking and I was in a, you know, I was in a fit state and I had to be physically like um, induced and helped bring out of that state. And from the moment that I woke up and I had an ability to have control of myself, this was only when I was like three or four years old, I had to get control of all my body again. I had literally weakness and didn't have it right. So it wasn't like somebody being in a car accident and having you know, rehabilitation of, but there was an element that my body had such a shocking hit to its system that it didn't want to align itself. So I had moments that at the start, my feet didn't want to. All through that journey of that to where I am now, I have to tell people that story for them to believe it. I had, my speech impairment was so bad that this is one of the things that I'm extremely proud of that I used to run away from school. I used to wag it. And it wasn't the fact that I couldn't talk, it was the fact that I had people around me that, you know, nasty children, that they'd worked out my kryptonite, 
and they'd asked me to say my own name. Right? They had realised the J and the S sound was almost impossible for me. And mum used to get me, um, like, speech, um, you know, teachers and that. And I went through everything. I tried slowing my speech down and all these things. It made everyone frustrated. And then what happened was I moved down to Fawcett and I met two boys and they were playing guitars. And for me being curious and like oh, what not, I actually was able to take this thing that was just there. It was like something that was just in this world. It was just sitting there. Nobody owned it. It was just like a community campfire guitar. And I started to go up and just sit with it and play with it. And I wrote my first song. And then the thing was is that the song had words and all the rest. You can't hand it to someone and go, here, I wrote this song, you play it now. You've got to play it. So I sang my first song and I actually whatnot. And I remember I sang it to Ruth. I didn't feel comfortable to sing it to anyone and say that I, I wrote a song. And my sister literally didn't know what to do. She looked at me and she goes, oh my God, I just heard you just speak for four minutes without a stutter. That was an element of my healing, you know, coming out of that process. And because I couldn't talk to these kids and, you know, come back with something witty to say or whatnot, I'd take an absolute hanger on their head or I would hit them clean out of the park and put it into a teacher's window. Actually, in my head, I'm thinking it. So he has to go in there and get it, right? Because I was way above that. And so I used to fight them in a completely different level. And it was through my sport. But what happened when I got into music was the one thing that I really wanted to do that I can relate to Warren, one thing that's born in us as Aboriginal people, that's our birthright, it is us as the storyteller. And it's a big factor of our men's masculinity too. That's how I see it. Storytelling is a part of our, of our men's belonging. And so within that, music to me is not like a lot of other people come from a different place and they look at music I look at music completely different than other people do. Um, I'm not one of them people who can sit there and go to and say, oh, music's healing and it does these things. And I can look you dead in the eye and I can tell you music can heal, you know? So telling from that place and sharing a story from that that's not like a shared experience, it's actually a real experience that you know something that has been tried through, all these other things. And just searing story through music was able to fix my ability to speak. And now I sing in front of crowds, right? That's a gift that I take reality with my music while I've never been interested in really taking vocal lessons. My voice is what it actually is. It would have been in a place where it still would have been going, uh, 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 uh. So I'm not really in a I'm not in a headspace to try and dress it and put it in a pretty bow and all these things. It is what it is. And that really resonates in all my music and the way that I write and the place that I come from. I don't write songs that are for anyone else. I write songs for my own interest and for the stories that I want to say. And that's me. Brothers here, the main one change.
That's all they did. They loved everyone. That's all they did. What is the space that a group of musicians can be in yeah. with an, an audience that is very, very um, sharing yeah. and, and, and opening and, and, and a healing space? Yeah, it's always just the whole... Like most Indigenous people, we're all about healing. Like Healing is... We have to do that, like... Unless we can heal ourselves, we'd go mad because there's, there's shit going down in this country that we look at it and go, what the? Why is that happening like that there? they got no respect whatsoever. Peasant, yeah. So we have to heal with our music and get our stories out there because we, we go mad if we don't. I'm sure if we, don't, if we can't tell our side of the story to the masses... There's no change that's going to happen. Mm. There's no room for change if we don't get the story out there because the story still hasn't been told to the masses in this country. And it's our job, really, because if we don't do it and if we don't pass it down to our kids to do it, it just won't get done. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think, like, as a group, we all bring different things, different musical components... And I think that's our strength at some stage because if we can all get together and gel around, even if it's only two or three chords, like it's like it's gold. about all I know, that's Warren. All we can yeah, and it is really Simple. different where yeah. you're coming from, where Dougie's coming yeah. from, where Josh is coming from, where Harley's coming from, where Mawasi's coming from, where I'm coming from. They're, they're, it's almost like we're from different continents. Oh, well, I'm sympathetic because I know no one is going to ever get where I'm coming from. <laughs> so yeah, but I think the same them. about me. Harley probably thinks the same about himself. <laughs> yeah, 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 Warren yeah. thinks the same yeah. about that. You know. So, but that's the beautiful thing. It's like we do all feel like we're from this different place. It's like, oh, how can everybody come from where I'm from? Except... When we're in the Brothers of Country, we're all from the country or the Brothers yeah. of Country. Mm. When we get to hang out together in different spaces, like we, we got to go to Bruni and hang out for a couple of days within a space in a group, mm. you learn all those bits about different people and different chords and different sounds they make. Same as when we went down to your house. Down mm, mm, mm. So it's, that, it's those opportunities to get together and just share different bits of music because I'm in it for the long haul, I think. Yeah. yeah, and for me, like I, I, I love the performing bits that we've done. But to be really honest, the stuff that I will never forget that I love the most was just spending time jamming sitting and around jamming and going, yeah. "What was that thing we came up with? Did we record it? <laughs> Did we record it? Yeah, but the problem was, was we record it and then didn't rehearse it. Yeah, that's all right. It was always that song. That's a one time. Oh, yeah. we're going to do that song that we recorded. Yeah, remember mm. that bit that was we hit that bit. That, that little jam that we had down on the, like, we were on the point looking at, through the she oaks, oh, yeah, looking yeah, at you yeah, like that. We were just jam. sitting there, we're jamming. Now, the, that little guitar riff that um, I played on, in that jam, that became that, um, the fire song. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. And, and, that, oh. and, and another little thing we did, and you sang Fire Burning So Bright. Yeah. 
that became that song. Yeah. You know, and I mean, so they were just there, yeah, yeah. Um, just sort of like floating around, yeah. waiting to be caught like fish or something. And that's just getting a chance to get together and doing that stuff, really. But in, the, in what it is, though, is that there's actually not, even though we've got a body of work that we showed, you know, was put on a plate and given to the audience, that's an album. Yeah, it definitely is an a album. A bit over an album's body work. Well, still all those, all those sounds and all those songs and all those jams we had, they could be albums. They just got to put them down and yeah. turn them into anything. Mm, spice them yeah. and cut them down. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I started, when I started playing in the festival, I mean, I was there now a couple of years now. But when I met Matthew, I mean, Matthew did quite a few festivals with Danny now and backing me up with his um, violin and, and I think, I don't know how many years it is, but sometimes, you know, it might be a slow song, but I'll put a little bit of, little bit of a beat to it. And I think Matthew likes that a little bit because, you know, the, it plays some, some songs too slow, you can put it to your sleep. And, uh, but I, I think it was all the, all the music I've done with Matthew before I jo actually joined the, the um, Brothers of Country, I think, I don't think I've learned any more chords. I think I still played the same four chords. Four chords. <laughs> I don't reckon any more than four chords. And this is something I've, I've done. <laughs> yes. I don't think I'm yeah. ever going to use any more, learn any more chords, yeah. but I'm quite happy with the four I know. Four, yeah. four is enough. Yeah. 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 what I want to do. Well, am I going to sing a song? Yeah, go on, sing a song. <laughs> sing a song. And then we'll go back out. It's been a long day Drinking at the river with the boys And it's then I see the lady in the red dress Come out of the shadows in the night Come out of the shadows in the night I look around the fire I can see the fear in our eyes Cause I know it's time for one of us to go Stands. He looks at me, he can see the tears coming from my eyes. He can see the tears coming from my eyes. And I say, brother, brother, please don't go. Brother, please don't go. The lady in the red dress just takes his hand and smiles. They walk off into the shadows of the night I can see the red dress it glow I can see the red dress it glow I can see the red dress it glow So where did that song come from, Red? So that's a story that my mother told my wife um, about 
in interracial, not interracial, inter... Generational? No, inter-tribal meetings and marriage. Um, when the boys have been drinking all day at the, at the pub down the river, they stay down the river till night, and if you were married to the wrong lady, there's chances that this lady's going to come and take you. This is, she's a spirit lady. And she fronts up and takes you. And like in my lifetime, I, I've known of two guys drowning in the river, and they were married to the wrong women from the wrong tribe. Wow. That's the story yeah. that my mum told me. Mm. Mm. Wow. Because there are people within, even within tribes, that you're not supposed to marry. And That's like kinship. Yeah, kinship things. Kinship, yeah, it's kin. Mm. 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 Yeah, and. Because I didn't grow up in a cultural um, setting, really. So my dad's family was the first Aboriginal family allowed to live within the within the town boundaries. Um, all the rest of the young fellas that I grew up with at school, they all lived on the reserve. Down, they lived in tin camps, and I've always had this fascination with um, why. Why do they have to live down there and I can live in town? Um, it, it was difficult for me because you know, there wasn't, when I grew up, there wasn't a lot of Aboriginal families in town and there was always a rivalry between the, the Indigenous boys that lived uptown and the boys that lived down the river. And so I grew up with that being disconnected from that group. Um, to this day, those guys from down the camp finally worked out that I was the same as everyone else in this world and, like, we're close, close friends. And it's... But it was always... That's what the Tin Camp studio come up for me was my relationship with what went on down the camp and what went on up town because I, I wasn't allowed to go down the camp when I was young. Um, I don't know. I still don't, don't understand that bit. Um, but I know that my grandfather... He signed an exemption certificate to say that he would bring up his kids in town, he would take his kids to church every week and he would send his kids to school and do all those things as the white families do. He wasn't allowed to practice culture, wasn't allowed to go down to camp and be with his family and friends. Um, that's how we grew up. That was like a... I got racism from both sides, really. Boys from down the camp and the white families from in town. But that made me who I am. Like, I'm here and I'm telling the story, really. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just sharing all those stories for for people to understand that that's, that's how, not just in the community where I grew up, is is that communities all around Australia. There were families making decisions not to bring their kids up as Aboriginal. And I, I, do, I do understand my grandfather's decision. He had 14 kids, so it's like he needed to give them the best opportunities possible to be able to participate in this world that we call Australia. And, and I, I know that all those guys that live down the camp, a lot of them have passed from like hard drinking, hard, hard life, hard work. Um, but I'm only 52. So it's like these guys are dying because they've run out of 
time, that was their time, was up already from the hard drinking and the hard partying and whatever they did. So I, I, I applaud my grandfather for his decision to give us, I'm a creation of what he, he give up. So I'm, at this point in time, I'm trying to chase what I've lost. Um, but you also feel in some kind of ways that you're giving back to that? Definitely. That, I, those fathers. Yeah, I need to do that to, for my own healing um, yeah. and for their healing. Yeah. Because we were close. Because we're only a small community. When I was young, it was 500. By the time I left there in 86, I reckon there would have been 300 people living in the town. So, and it's slowly getting smaller and smaller because people go away for bigger and bigger and better opportunities for their kids. Um, yeah, we're moving to Tassie. Uh, they're moving to <laughs> the main... Well, the main... They go from Gadooga, it's either Dubbo or Tamworth. Mm. They're the closest bigger towns, bigger with more opportunities. Fewer of them go to Sydney. The ones that go to Sydney struggle because mm. Sydney's a long way away and um, it's a dog-eat-dog mentality in Sydney and you're just another person in 10 million, I think, they got there. Yeah, they eat you up and spit you out. Yeah, but, it, but all those people that have moved away and all their families, if they, even if they're born in Dubbo, they're from Gadooga. So it's like those those families that started in Gadooga, they're always from Gadooga. That's their land. That's their country. That's where they. That's where their bloodline runs. That's what I, I call Gadooga home. I always call Gadooga home. I left Gadooga when I was you know, sixteen and a half, so it was like I've been off country for a long time, and just back and forwards, spending different amounts of times there. But it's always home, doesn't matter how long I've been away. Mm. Strong links. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And heaps of people have different connections to country, and yeah. to have an access to country is the one that, as I grew up in town, and like if you know the, um, the native title, if you don't show continuous. Um, use of land or being connection to land you don't have a you don't have a leg to stand on when you want to go and try and claim this is my land Mm. so the government set it all up where they moved everyone off countries and put them into reserves so when they're in the reserves they don't have access to country Mm. and if they keep them off country they don't they have no right to anything That's another one, just another one of those things that Indigenous peoples, not just from where I'm from, but from everywhere, is having That's access. Yeah. yeah, having access to country. You can't, if you be off country, that's where your soul is. That's where your heart and soul is. I mean, if you're not allowed to go there, mm. they put up the fences and you can't go through the fences. But I did grow up with a very, very strong uncle who said, like, I just remember this one time, I reckon I would have been about 18 or 19 and just come back from Brisbane. I was living in Brisbane. I'd come back to Gadooga just for, like, a, might have been a party or something. I was at the pub having a few beers. He pulls up out the front, hey, nephew, you get in the car here, we go for a drive. And I'm driving out the road, cruising along. 
He says, look at them ones over there. They fat, them big bullocks over there. Boy, look at them. And I'm cruising along, and he pulls out the gun, and he just knocks this big bullet over there. I said, what the fuck are we doing, Uncle? They, they got to pay the rent, boy. They got to pay the rent. It's <laughs> all right, no like, worries. <laughs> so he cut up his books, chuck them in the boot, drove home. Wow, they got to pay the rent. <laughs> Brothers dying too early just to get to the other side. I've seen it all before, way too many times. I've seen it all before. Now, what you just said then is it also touches on an element actually through multiple journeys that actually bring us here. That's an, uh, a truth behind what is actually the name of Brothers of Country there. So let's, let's talk about what actually Brothers of Country is. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want Harley to tell us what Brothers of Country is. Oh, big, 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 big Brothers of Country for me, because Brothers of Country is, oh, for me itself, I know everyone else going, um, aspects of stuff, but all come together. I love doing these kinds of things because it's been a while since we all got together. But um, the the shows um, come together on the trips and just the creations you get from um, being in a band. It's something very important to me because um, not not um, playing the clapsticks is, is something, but um, just growing up with Uncle Dougie, like a you know, um, I always uh, back in the nineties. I remember. Fond memories, Uncle Doug uh, recording songs up in the room, and um, uh, he's like, "Oh, should just be quiet, you know. We've got to do a recording." And he just play on a recording a tape player. He, he'd probably go or more. <laughs> but I've I've heard a lot of songs with Uncle Doug. He, he, um, you know, not not just Cape Brown Island, but um, yeah, and Matthew, all the festivals and stuff, and growing up and being being a part of Brothers of Country is, is important to me because. Um, Dad, it's got my dad in here too. My dad's father, a big part of it here in the clapsticks, but um, I love being um, part of Brother Country because I'm only young. I'm only in my 30s and, you know, I, I always uh, like take things on and learn, learn lessons and... Yeah, it's so just how, how would you describe the music oh, and the vibe of, of the Brothers of Country? unique, very unique. Like, you've you got all different you aspects. you got... Um, punk, you know, you got the country, you know, you got the Warrens, the slow stuff, and Matthew with the fiddle and my claps, but it's all, all and unique. And then the African stuff from Moasi. African, Moasi, you know, got a, a whole cultural aspect because it's just not one instrument, it's just the whole uniqueness of it, like a, the music and the sound you get from it because we've only done, I think we've only done four, four or five shows that stands out to me. I mean, one up, up the mountain, first time we all met. I think I'm glad you were there. That was cool, that was cool, you know. And sitting around with the mob. And I was up there, that was awesome. Yeah, actually, we had a good fun jam, and that was one of my fondest memories up in the mountain there and playing for the community. And, and the first time you sang. And the first time we sang. And Josh and I was like, Harley, turn, turn, turn it up. I said, turn it up, come on, I want to get a bit of harmony here. And the biggest show ever was um, here, here at the Mac. That was. That was the three-nighter. That was really cool. Was I thought it was going to be one, one show, but no. But 
being in a band is very unique because I love I love coming together like this and and, and um, yeah. just in terms of your dad, mm. how have you seen? Um, that thing go how, how's it oh. been for him because we, I know we've all seen a f- some stuff that he's been through and, and shown us that we've like wow this is amazing but yeah d- yeah. yeah for dad for dad for me to have dad in this is very important because he, he um, come from alcoholism like very very rough and now he's not even drinking no more not even drinking no more I've talked to him very recently and you know he's off that stuff and for him to come from so far from where he was to join this is very important for him too because he's like oh what are you doing today or or," I said no we're going to do yarn about this he's like oh this is very important I said yeah in little ways but you know he he, he loves coming to all this stuff because you know gigs and stuff and Everywhere he goes, he's got his clapsticks. He's got his clapsticks. He's got his clapsticks. He walks with them now everywhere. Because that's, that's from brothers the country. What what he gets out of this is is just his lifestyle now. Like he's changed. And, and yeah. we he's, got him to do a dance. And so tell yeah. us about that when, yeah. that moment when you were um, doing the opening dance for the gig, and you were sort of expecting Saint what to sit down and and just play clapsticks for but you. Yeah, was statesman clapstick player. Yeah, wasn't yeah, so, that. yeah what, what was going through your head? I was just like, oh, Colin, Dad, because I thought, we we bring, we bring, I don't know what he's there for, but I was just like, oh, Dad, what are you going to do, you know, because it's just scary for me because I don't know what was going through my head. Too much, <laughs> too much. Well, because if, for those who don't know, mm, mm. Uncle Seen is a, is one of the most athletic people that you would have met in his prime. Yeah. He would have jumped oh, yeah. over your 10-foot fence mm. without you knowing it had happened. Yeah. Blew me out. Blew me out. Because I, I, I thought I was going to sit him down in the chair. And I was just like, you know, oh, here comes Dad coming come out of retirement. And I was like, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> slow dance. Slow, <laughs> slow dance. No, no. And he's, as soon as Dad got quick, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to get quick now yeah. too. Because this is the most fun dance I've ever You know, he's... he's the mind of his um, body, he thinks he's still young. But he's, he's like, no, he's, he's still there. He's, you know, he's young, not, not old, not old Uncle Dougie. You're young, you elders, you know. That's where you've got to put yourselves in your mind. That, you know, you're not getting older, you're getting younger because dad's, dad's de-aging. I don't know how he does it. No, but I, I do yeah, believe the brothers of country, brothers of country yeah, has given him... No drinking. Um, you know, not like, to be and use the wrong words, but there, there is an element to life that we can all agree on. Something to do that, mm. you know, isn't about going to work and just paying bills and something like that. Yeah. And especially when you get to a certain stage of your actual life, you know, so something actually to do. And that's what I see as unique in Uncle Seen's situation that I can actually see and me and Harley have talked about it on our own time mm, where it's almost like it's a fountain of youth that's wound you back a couple of years it's something to do that's with brothers and but it's not just you know anything like occupying your time going to work or whatever something that's true and that's meaningful and there's an element that Uncle Seen we've all got education at school and certain stuff like that that Uncle Seen is actually so educated in another world and that we have given him a place to sit and actually respect that, that wisdom that he does have mm. has been safe for him. But it's also been an element of, you think about like him filming for the film clips and stuff like that. Like 
his body found energy to do. He played all them songs on all them gigs. Not like I don't love you boys and I, and I think you are all awesome. Uncle Seen showed us all up when it, in my eyes when it comes to Brothers of Country. Like we couldn't, honestly, you can't buy that because it was all his story without him telling it. Just him sitting there was like, this looks good. He was an element that where I see it that in the end, he, I will humbly say that we were all good. But he was deadly. He was real he was deadly. Wicked deadly. He was real deadly. Was the one that they thought deadly. was in retirement and that had, you know, decided not to walk that road. He did. He turned around, and not only that, he showed us up. one of the things that you said really early on to me Josh about Brothers of Country how you you imagined it is this thing that what individually we bring to this group is this the bunch of unique elements that when you put it all together there's actually nothing quite like that yeah that actually exists. Yeah, no. And obviously then you've got all of these extraordinary, unique elements that have their own kind of strengths. But together, the moment that we kind of all felt like, oh, yeah, we actually are a band, you know, because there were moments we were going like, oh, I don't know, this is a bit, I think for this me, is a bit loose. Yeah. I think it, for me that defining moment was when we were a band was... The gig we done at the Salty Job Dog. There's yep. a couple of songs in there that we got in the grooves where we didn't even know we were in them, but we were in them. Yeah. Oh. And they were going. Book the footage. Mm. Yeah. They were banging. Yeah. And, and we said, oh, well, maybe we can do this. Because until then, we've ne- we didn't play together. That was our first. Mm. Oh, well, let's give it a go. We've caught up a couple of times. And no, but we had the, the Launceston. We went up as individuals before the Brothers of Country had... Yeah, had and we had that jam out yeah, the back in that yeah, room. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Um, it was cold. Like for me, <laughs> it was cold. It was <laughs> the Brothers of Country is really a different path for me. Um, you know, I feel that the Brothers of Country comes from the Saltwater Sisters. Really, I was just supporting my sisters, right? And Jody and Jude, and we're going to go a bit bigger now and put a deadly night on. But what that did is that did. That was the stone that was thrown to me, was that birth, the, and I talked to you about this, how I see a lot of these things, I use them as my tool of, uh, as a power. Jealousy end up turning into one of the tools of power that birthed the brothers of country. Everybody's seen how unreal them girls were, and then immediately, not after the show had finished and weeks later, I only got to walk out the front door to have my cigarette. <laughs> And the ball, the boys went, now wins our show. Right? Yeah. It had been the engine in the fire in them that they also wanted their story. Yeah. And I think interesting thing that did happen in the journey from that original idea 
to what Brothers of Country became was that that idea that we could bring together brothers from Fiji, from, you know, uh, the Maori mob and Aboriginal and African, and that becomes the, the, the brother thing. Yeah, but I had to steer it from That's that. right. And it, that, I think there was a moment when you understood that's too far away and too hard and that moment when like meeting you Warren and just understanding how it could gel with you and Mm -hmm. um and then I think the final sort of like thing that brought it all together was actually seen becoming part of that group and understanding that it was just this collection of individual men who could tell the story for all of those other men Mm. You know, yeah, for, for the mob who'd gone, well, when's our story? Yeah, 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 this yeah. is it, um, and you know, and and but, but also for those Maori guys and those Fijian guys. Well, it's not like we have it. I just felt like it's going to be done, right? I am going to, as one of my dreams as producers, I am going to go there and do like the Saltwater Brothers version. But what I felt was was that the demand of my brothers as Aboriginal custodians of this land to host all their family and their stories and give that respect. Mm. I could hum- I humbly come to a spot early to look at my own family, not in a light that was judgmental, but to look at it of what actually is here and is true. And I made the decision that our men to get together collectively, the way that we actually share space and we talk and all the rest like that, we weren't ready to host all them other men Right, and to give it justice and to have it smooth. So that was the moment that I stopped and I thought about it and I went, well, what is it that we need as our community to get ready to host them? Not to abandon the idea of that show, but to get us ready. And when I come to the realisation that what our community needs, it, and that there is no answer with law that there's some lawman out there who's just going to be born and everyone's going to respect him. They needed men who could just sit at a circle around a fire and share with each other and respect each other first. And if they could see that and be safe, then through people hearing Uncle Dougie's story, then other boys would walk in and they would share. And even though it might be years down the track that we get our men ready to host, like, you've seen it, Matt. There's literally 100 people, men, in each one of them community that are ready to... So it's not like us taking on a show with five or six. There's hundreds of them that want to come and do it. So for us to be really ready for that, I knew that it couldn't be rushed and I looked at the simple fact and that was why I looked at everyone and everyone who was in this group. The one thing that we all share is that we all are healers, right? And that was the thing that I pushed it and this connection that was about, even though we're not born of the same womb, we're born of country, of the same thing that we can share. That, and that was the thing that when we were trying to rehearse and that, and I was trying to, um, you know, calm your thoughts and stuff like this, like how's it going to get there? In my head, I was like, if the branding doesn't have the brothers feel like they're brothers first, actually cement the brothers and it's not about just let's just go and spend time with each other and hear each other's story and that. And if the brother vibe lock with who is sitting here now it's going to travel somewhere it's going to do something so in an element that's where the the name to me where I sit and that journey is of what the brothers of country is it's it's a yeah and that's why it's attached to men's business and 
stuff like that because of that burden of I really couldn't handle the even though it would have been beautiful I would not been able to handle the scar of myself to dump that on the men knowing that they weren't ready for it no. and then to have them argue after that and when we can move slowly like as Warren's advice it's just let's just move with a slow burn right as that element come into that alignment and to me that that's how we got here as we all of a sudden Warren turned up and he's like oh I'm slow burn brother I'm, I'm in though <laughs> yeah that's right hey I reckon we should um finish up around now uh, and I reckon the one thing that we should do to to finish up is how would we describe the brothers of country if it was the sound of country the sound of the bush what's what's the sound is it the waves on the beach is it what part of Tassie what part of the bush is the sound of the brothers of country I reckon well I reckon it has all elements within all sounds within this land called Tasmania okay so what's like, in there there's bush there's water there's wind there's like rain can't hear snow just drinking what you walk on it Drinking melted glacier water on the top of Kanani? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, well, the Brothers of the Country is it's an opportunity to share story, like just the stories we share amongst each other. Sometimes they turn into songs, sometimes they, they just story. are. Yeah, they just say stories. But that opportunity that everyone, when we're sitting around, everyone has a chance to tell a story. And... That's what Brothers of Country is all about, I think. When we get up on stage, we share a story. And that's what we do. Mm. I see our sound as it's free. Uh, there's an element that, like, if you just hang around, you're getting something different, right? So I have some places that I can respect the, the musicianship, but it's just not my vibe. Right, and it doesn't change, and it's what not like we are free. We can have an element that this band can actually not. It can play as all of us on stage, or some of us can just go. But we represent our our stories and our our identity together. If there was an element, Matt, that you asked me, what do I think the brothers of country sound like? I when I was trying to work out questions for this, I actually wrote that question down and I asked it myself, and I come up with a quirky answer for it. You would have. My favourite place in all of Tasmania has taken me a long time. I only just recently realised that my favourite place. You know, you, do you know where have I ever shared with you my actual favourite place? It's this main stretch right here in Moona, in all of Tasmania. Can I tell you why? Go on, man. Because it's got everything. All right? It's got noise and it's got quiet. It's got beggars begging for food. It's got your junkies hiding in shadows. It's got good Samaritans that walk out of banjos and out of their own money, they hand them cups of coffees, right? I can buy food from Indonesia, from an Indonesian family. I can buy African food. I can get my hair done by an African family, right? I can see the conglomerate bullshit of Harvey Norman and KFC, right? I see kids walk in danger, but they're learning to be independent. Right? That the world is getting more and more dangerous. Cars get faster around them and everything like that. 
but there is still a community trying to do right and bring it together. And so in an element that what I see is that the confusion of some of that actually brings absolute beauty. Because I like to go into a venue and get a German beer out of the fridge and then walk over and buy in Indian food and then talk to some absolute out there dude from somewhere else, right? To me, that is the thing that I really like about Moona that I love of Tassie, this, this little place, and it's not overwhelmed. It's its own little ecosystem here in Moona and Glenorchy. And in an element us doing the Moona Arts Centre and the Brothers of Country being supportive of that. When I ended up looking at it, I was like, yeah, that's our music. That's true. And I mean, I suppose, I mean, it's, it's a shame Mawasi's not here tonight, but the fact that he brings that whole Malawi, Chichewa culture to what we do mm. and that I'm so deeply grounded in, you know, Latin American and African music and I can't, do you know what I mean? I can't lose that flavour. Like, I... I yeah, I'm, I cook roast lamb, but I put chilli on it, you know. <laughs> I've, I do, it's always going to have a bit of that flavour in the instruments I want to play and, and all of that. And I think, yeah, it's true. Like, there's all of these Indigenous elements in it, but there's also this stuff that's culturally connected to the world. And, yeah, it's good. Sometimes I feel like driving, sometimes I feel rugby, sometimes I feel like riding, sometimes I feel like driving. You have been listening to the Music Taz podcast. This podcast is supported by Arts Tasmania and the Australian Council of the Arts. For more episodes, music and sounds from Tasmania, please visit musictasmania.org. Until next time, enjoy the music.